So we're back in 1 Corinthians. We're going to finish off part two uh, over the next six weeks or so. Uh, it might be really helpful because they are quite big chapters to have your Bible open just so you can uh, follow along and see where, we are, where we're up to as we go through it. But before we get into it, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. We pray now, Lord, as we look at this chapter in 1 Corinthians, that you'll illuminate the words on the page. That you'll be at work in our hearts. That we'll respond rightly to what you're saying to us this morning. And that in all that we do, it will bring you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may or may not know, um, but I love rugby league. I love it. It's a brilliant sport with um, the best of the best when it comes to uh, skill and strength and athleticism. It, it is a wonderful uh, game. These are the fittest athletes around. And it's pre-season, they're getting ready for the season to start in a month or so's time. And I was reading uh, some of the training re regime that these professional uh, rugby league players go through. The weight lifting, uh, the hit training, wrestling, stretching, yoga, swimming, bikes, uh, they've got all this strength training. They've got these uphill runs and sprints. They've got these long runs through the park and along the canals. And then there's the food uh, that they need to eat. The diet, they need to eat the right amount of food. And it's a lot of food uh, that they eat. And they need to drink the right amount of water. And they need to get the right amount of sleep. And I'm reading this. And you watch them as they play the game. And you know that they have to be so disciplined to be at the top of their game. Discipline is so important for a, an elite athlete. But we know what it is to be disciplined. We, in daily life, have to be disciplined. If we work, we have to be disciplined in going to sleep on time, getting up. On time, We know what it is uh, to live disciplined lives, not to the extent uh, of an elite athlete, but we know what it is to live uh, disciplined lives. And so Paul, uh, this morning, uh, we just jump back to chapter 9, because verse 1 of chapter 10 begins with 4. So we jump back and see uh, why he's got that 4 there. And at the end of chapter 9, Paul says, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, 
I myself might be disqualified. Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to be disciplined. He wants them to have in mind this picture of an athlete who is disciplined in all that they do, in the training that they do, and he wants the Corinthian Christians to have that same attitude of living the Christian life in a disciplined manner. And so with that in mind, we move into chapter 10, where Paul begins by warning the Corinthians not to be complacent in Christian living, but rather be disciplined in the way that you live your Christian life. And so he begins this chapter by taking them back in time. Uh, The philosopher George Santayana said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. History is so important. Some find it boring, some find it really exciting. But history is really important and we mustn't neglect our history. We can learn from it. And that's the reason the Apostle Paul takes them back in history, in time, to Moses and the Israelites. He's going to make this comparison, this parallel between the Corinthian Christians and Israel so that the Corinthians can learn from the mistakes of Israel in the past. But notice how uh, he begins in verse 1. He he writes with such love as we've seen so often throughout uh, this letter, dear brothers and sisters. Paul's not writing in a judgmental way. He's writing to his dear brothers and sisters in Christ, those that he loves. He's writing for their sake out of love for them. He has a deep concern for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he begins to draw this parallel. Verse 2, in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as, as followers of Moses. So Paul takes them back to Israel and they were baptized into Moses. You Corinthians, you have been baptized, but you've been baptized into Christ. And then he he moves on. They, uh, all of them, ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual water. That was Israel. What of the Corinthians? Well, they eat and drink uh, spiritually, as we'll see in a moment, the Lord's Supper. And so again, we see Uh, This parallel, Israel had received such great blessings from the Lord. They knew the grace of God, and so too do the Corinthian Christians. They know the grace of God. They've experienced it. Yet, verse 5, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. All of them, all Israel had received God's grace. They had experienced God's blessing as he'd rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And that was true for the Corinthian Christians. Yet most of Israel did not enter the promised land. As we read those chapters, out of all those that were saved from Egypt, it was only two who made it into the promised land. All the rest fell short because of sin. And Paul doesn't want the same to happen to the Corinthian Christians. 
He doesn't want them to fall short as those Israelites and those who were baptized into Moses did. He wants them to finish the race well. So Paul says in verse 6, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. We've recently been through the book of Exodus. And if you read uh, that again, you'd be reminded of how Israel were just whingers. They just groaned and grumbled. God had rescued them. He delivered them. He'd opened the sea for them. And how do they respond to that? They just just whinge and whine. Can we not go back to Egypt? We were treated so well that we ate, ate such good food. Now we're just wandering. They were whingers. They were grumblers. And so Paul is urging the Corinthian Christians not to do the same thing. And so Paul continues with this comparison in verse 7. Israel worshipped idols. Moses is up the mountain in Mount Sinai. And what are the people doing down the bottom? They're gathering up all the gold and creating this golden calf that they worship. For the Corinthians... They were in danger of worshipping idols as Israel did. They were attending these uh, pagan sacrificial meals at the temple. And they were in danger of doing the same thing. Verse 8, Israel were engaging in sexual immorality. The Israelite men um, went with Moabite women. And that was not allowed. And what did the Moabite women do? They led the Israelites into worshipping idols. We've seen already in Corinthians how it was true for the Corinthians as they engaged in immoral behavior at the temple. So they were in danger as the Israelites were. Then we get to verse 9 and the testing of the Lord. The Israelites complained. All they were getting was manna that God was providing for them. And they weren't happy with that. And so they whinged and whined and complained against God. They were not satisfied with what God had given them. And verse 10, so they grumbled to Moses and Aaron. They grumbled towards God's leaders, his mouthpiece towards the people. And it was the same In Corinthians, they were not satisfied with what God had given them in Christ. They were wanting something more. They desired uh, something other than the manner of Christ that God had given them. And so they grumbled against God's leader. They complained uh, to Paul and about Paul. And again, Paul reminds them and says to them again in verse 11, Uh, that these things happened as examples to them, as warnings to them. Paul is desperate for his dear brothers and sisters in Christ to not go the same way, to not be complacent in the Christian life. He says in verse 12, 
If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are not different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Living the Christian life doesn't mean that we're free from temptation. We all know that if we're Christians. We know, yes, we've been saved by Christ, by what he's done on the cross. And yes, our sin has been washed away. But we know that our Christian life, there is still temptations uh, that come after us. There are still those times uh, that we fall for them. But it's how we respond when we are faced with temptation to sin. Paul says, be careful if you're uh, standing confidently, thinking that this will never touch me. Paul's saying, be careful that you're not overconfident because you're in danger of falling. No one, no Christian is immune to the temptation of sin. And so we need to remember two things that Paul tells us in uh, these verses. The first one is uh, that it's a battle. We've thought about that before. The Christian life is a battle. It's a battle against sin. And we must be active in that battle. Christians throughout history have battled sin. And by God's grace and his spirit have resisted temptation. They've uh, not fallen. And the second thing to remember it is that God is faithful. The God that we know and worship is a faithful God. He will not abandon his people. He, he can be trusted uh, to not allow us to go too far, to not, us, to not let us, or to not allow temptation to go beyond what we can endure. He will always provide a way out. Because he is a faithful God and we can trust him. Don't be complacent and don't be overconfident at thinking that temptation and sin can't cause us to stumble. It can. So we must uh, be in that battle against temptation and against sin. We must be awake uh, to temptation in our lives. John Owen, in The Mortification of Sin, writes, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Don't be complacent in the Christian life. Don't uh, even flirt with sin. But all times as we're tempted into those things instead let's be putting those things to death in our lives by the help of God's spirit within us the Christian life begins with grace and it continues with God's grace and the evidence of genuine faith is that we're trusting Christ that we're seeking to live in obedience to him and that we're seeking to put to death sin in our lives.
We don't do it by ourselves. God has given us his spirit who works within us, helping us uh, to do that. And when we do fall, as we read often in our confession uh, from 1 John chapter 2, we have an advocate who is Jesus. He is the one who washes away our sin. He is the one who is pleading with the Father through his death on the cross. Paul moves on in verse 14 to apply this warning more directly to the situation of the Corinthians. Verse 14, so my dear friends, again, my dear friends, there's that love and that deep concern for the Corinthians. Flee from the worship of idols. Flee is the plea from Paul. Run from that danger. Escape it. I remember a video, I think we might have showed it here one week, uh, of uh, somebody in America, I think he was coming out bringing the bins down his drive. And as he came out the door and started walking down his drive, around the corner and started to walk up his drive was a bear. And what did he do? He ran away. He didn't stand and think, what is this bear doing on my drive? Maybe I should go and approach it and ask him what he's doing. He, he didn't engage with it. He ran as fast as he could, either back into his house or off the fence behind him, wherever, but he, he ran away. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians as they're tempted into the sin of idolatry. Flee. Run away. Don't try and negotiate with it or try and work out what's going on. Instead, flee as fast as you can away from it. Escape that danger in front of you. Run away. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you can't have divided loyalties. Some of the Corinthians, uh, the Christians, were eating at the temple in these pagan uh, sacrificial meals and they were in danger as they engaged in those, even though there was freedom to do that, as we'll see in a moment. They were in danger of either being sucked back into their old life or being tempted into uh, that idol worship uh, at the temple. And so Paul again gives this comparison between that meal and the Lord's Supper. He says at the Lord's Supper, as we eat and as we drink, it's a reminder, a picture of Christ's body and his blood. And as we do that, as we share in that, we participate spiritually with Christ and with one another. That word sharing means to participate in, fellowship in, partnering communion with. And so when we take the bread and the wine, when we share together in that, we remember Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross, but we are also spiritually in fellowship with Christ and with other believers. We hear it every time we um, share communion here. The, the paragraph that is said before we all receive communion ends with eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with 
thanksgiving. There is spiritual fellowship as we as we share in the bread and wine with Christ and with other believers. And so Paul takes that and says it's the same when you engage in these pagan sacrificial meals at the temple. He's saying when you eat and drink there, just as at the Lord's table you participate spiritually with Christ and one another, at that table you participate not with Christ, but with demons. And so he's pointing out the danger of engaging in uh, that. Paul doesn't want them to do that. He says you can't be divided uh, in that. And so verse 21, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. We've got these Corinthians one day they're at the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. The next day, they're in the pagan temple in this sacrificial meal to, uh, and participating with demons. And Paul is saying to them, that cannot be for God's people. They cannot, cannot have it both ways. The, the Corinthians are in real danger. And Paul wants them to see that that danger, they must flee from the danger of the idol worship that is going on in the temple. One writer says this of an idol, it is anything or anyone we put in the place of God in our hearts and therefore in our lives. So we're reading this and thinking, well, we don't go to a temple. We don't join in in these pagan sacrificial meals. But an idol is anything that takes the seat of God in our hearts. That is an idol. Anything or anyone that replaces God in our hearts is an idol. So for us, it'll be things like money, the things that we have, our possessions. It'll be our health. It'll be fitness. It'll be relationships. It'll be jobs. It'll be Pleasure in any form that we can think of. So those things are not bad in and of themselves. It's not wrong to be working on our health and our fitness. It's not wrong to be working hard at work uh, to earn money. They're not wrong things in and of themselves. The problem is when they slowly take the seat of God in our hearts. That's when these things become idols. And so I've seen it many times where Christians have been or have looked to be growing as Christians. There's real enthusiasm in their lives, yet they get a girlfriend and that relationship takes the seat of God and they walk away from their faith because the idol has taken over. Oh, or somebody who was, who was really involved in church, who was serving the church in lots of different ways, yet now that's had to stop because they're too busy with work. And that has slowly replaced God in their hearts. 
And so we must hear this warning from Paul and from God this morning that we must flee from idols in our lives. We must recognize them and flee. We must repent of them. We must replace them with Christ and rejoice in Him. What are the idols or potential idols in our lives that we need to flee? And finally, in all that we do, we do it for the glory of God. As we get to verse 23, we see a similar set of questions uh, that we've seen before in Corinthians. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. We've thought about this before, that as Christians, we have freedom in Christ. Not every decision that we have to make is explicitly answered in Scripture. We're given freedom to take the principles of Scripture and then apply them to all the decisions that we make in our daily lives. So I think the example that I used the other week, or the other month now, last year even, uh, was that about marriage. Well, not, so there's the option of marrying Mary or Martha. We don't go to Scripture, uh, and Scripture tells us it is Mary that you should marry. What we're told in Scripture is that we're to marry someone who is a believer. So if they're both believers and we decide, well, I'm going to marry Martha, we have freedom to do that because we're not explicitly told who we're to marry. We're given the principle and then we apply that principle into our daily decisions. We have freedom in Christ to make decisions. But we must use that freedom that we have in Christ in the right way. So we get to verse 24. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So when we use our freedom, when we exercise this freedom that we have in Christ, we should be asking, will it build up others? Will it build them up? Will it be for the good of others or will it hinder them? So for the Corinthian Christians, they're free to eat meat uh, that has been um, offered to, to idols because an idol is nothing. And because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So they have freedom uh, to eat whatever they want. But just because they can doesn't mean that they should. And there are two reasons why it might not be beneficial to exercise our freedom because it's okay for us. Because it might cause offense to a fellow believer. So as we exercise that freedom, as the Corinthians exercise that freedom to eat meat, that might not be beneficial for, for a fellow believer. Maybe somebody who is new to the faith and they see that, well, this mature Christian is eating meat offered to idols and that leads to that younger Christian being taken in to the to the idol worship that Paul is warning them uh, against. 
So that's reason number one that it might not always be beneficial for us to exercise our freedom in Christ because it may cause a fellow believer to stumble. The second reason is that it might hinder our witness to the world. And so Paul is saying, just because you have that freedom doesn't mean that it's good to exercise that freedom in that situation if it will cause a fellow believer to stumble or if it will hinder the gospel going forward. But above all that we do, the overarching question that we should always uh, answer is that will my actions, will what I do glorify God? Will what I do honor him? And so we have that at verse, verse 31, a brilliant verse to memorize. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. In all that we do, Will it bring glory to God? Someone, someone becoming a Christian brings glory to God because that person has gone from death to life. They are saved by grace. A Christian working and battling sin in their lives brings glory to God because the grace of God is at work in that person's life as they are transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. A Christian who is fleeing from idols brings glory to God because their life shows that they belong to Christ. When a Christian chooses not to use their freedom in Christ for themselves, but rather considers the impact on a fellow believer or the impact that it will have on the gospel brings glory to God. Let us in all that we do live in such a way that honors God and brings glory to him. Amen.